be seated. Thank you, New Hope Band. Good stuff. Give the Lord a round of applause this morning. Amen. Wanted to reiterate a couple announcements real quick before I get started. Um, you see, we have a little flyer, and we've been announcing a little movie night that we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to ask that you please don't blow it off to the best of your uh, best of your abilities. Do not blow it off. It, it's more than just a movie. It's uh, if you saw a little admission, we're, we're asking that whoever comes try to bring one of those listed baby items. That is a way for this church to directly help supply Heartbeats with the things that they need. And, and, and Heartbeats is an organization, they are a frontline organization battling against uh, the evil abortion that we face in this nation. And this church needs to leave a legacy on this planet of, of helping to supply them with what they need. So we're, we're hoping for your buy-in on that. Um, one other quick thing, baptism this evening, please, I'm asking you to do not blow that off. That is, a, a, we're asking you to come and celebrate with your brothers and sisters that have decided to get uh, baptized. It's a, it's a public proclamation of their salvation and their life that they're given to Jesus Christ, and we're asking you to celebrate with us, and it's always a special service. Those of you who have been involved know that. Uh, so we're, we're going to be doing that this evening, and we have folks getting baptized, and we even have a... a Chad came up with something a little bit different that I, I believe is going to be pretty neat uh, that we're going to start doing going forward. Um, okay, we'll get to the word this morning. Um, God, before I get started, I suppose, one last quick thing. You've got to understand that I'm here to preach the word. Now, if we can be friends in the process, I'll take it. I'll be your friend anytime. I enjoy people and getting to know people and if I didn't like people, I'm, I'm in a pretty bad job here. If I don't like folks. And I love folks, love to interact with them and talk with them. And, but my job is not to be your friend. It, it is to preach the word of God. And there may be a thing or two I say this morning that is not super popular, but it's the word of God. So if you ever want to uh, argue or disagree with me, I will not argue an emotional argument with you. I will not argue a philosophical argument with you, but I will argue a scriptural argument with you. So if you want to come up and argue scripture with me, that's fine, but I will not argue anything else. So I'm going to give you the word of God this morning. Like I said, there may be a few things that aren't real popular, but, well, that's my clause. I'm going forward now. God in the Bible has ordained three major institutions, okay? And they're, they're found in the Word of God, and they're founded, and they're ordained by God, okay? The first one is the home, the second one is government, and the third one is churches. And, and it is in that order, I might add, which is kind of important. Those are the three institutions that God has created and ordained and says, mankind, you need these things to be able to function as a society and, and nations and as a people, a body of people. Now, we don't even remotely have time to cover all three of those institutions, but I do believe that God would have us to focus on one of them this morning, okay? This is very practical stuff, very rubber-meets-the-road type stuff. But let's take a quick look at the two that we're not going to focus on this morning, okay? The government. Okay, the Bible does establish the government. Now, I know that we all have our opinions or complaints, I could say, about the government. We all have our thoughts, we all have our two cents, or we all have our, I don't like this, I can't stand that, or this or that. I'm not talking about our particular government, I'm talking about government in general, the establishment of government, okay? The institution of government is, is found in Genesis chapter 9. Now, in Genesis chapter 9, if you know your Bible, the, the flood had just occurred, okay? So the floodwaters are beginning to recede, Noah and his family who have been on the ark, they're getting ready to come off of the ark, and the ark comes to a rest, and, and God has this uh, covenant that he makes with Noah and his family, and he commands them to be fruitful and multiply. Now, I'm going to read some scriptures in Genesis chapter 9, but remember, there was no Bible at this time. There was no real law even given at this time. It's kind of an age of consciousness, if you would. So, 
We've got to take note of that. As we read these scriptures, there's really nothing is instituted. There's just man living on this planet, and they kind of have this conscience to guide them. There's no Ten Commandments yet. There's no Bible yet. None of that stuff yet. So God, in Genesis chapter 9, is going to establish government. So listen to these scriptures. Genesis 9, 5 says, And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, and at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Verse 6 says, Whoso sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. This is the institution of capital punishment for murder. Okay, now, now maybe you're thinking, well, that's the institution for capital punishment. Where do you get government out of that? This is... God giving authority to mankind to give institute capital punishment for murderers, okay? It is a basic framework of governmental structure, okay? It, is, it gives us this basic framework for government's role in society. The government, if you read even in the New Testament, the government bears the sword to punish evildoers. So, so the Bible, God here is instituting the, the government system that we have now the bible is kind of ambiguous on how to go about government and if you know anything at all about world history mankind has tried all kinds of different ways of government Uh, we've tried monarchies you know with kings and queens we've had dictatorships marxism socialism we've had republics like us democracies etc etc some of them have worked rather well, kind of like our Constitution. Going strong for 250 years, been kind of under attack really recently these last few years. And some of them have not worked so well and have led to the deaths of tens of millions of people. So mankind has tried all kinds of different institutions of government styles. But the basic framework is here in the Bible. God is saying, if a man or beast sheds a man's blood, his blood shall be shed. It is giving authority to a body of people to come together and form this thing called government so that they can keep the peace and they can punish evildoers. And that is instituted by God. Now, the Bible does have lots more to say about it, but that's a topic for another day, brothers and sisters. Much to your dismay, I'm sure. But we must at least acknowledge God institutes government. There has to be some sort of form of government. Now, Next up is the institution of the church. This is another institution God ordains and establishes. Now, I'm going to pretty much skip completely talking about the church because I'm, I'm very biased about the church. I love, love, love the New Testament church. I love New Hope Church. And I have very passionate feelings towards the church, very fond of the church. I believe in it so much. I believe in the church's role in society so much that I can't even begin to talk about it or I'll get off course from what the Lord has today. I'll start preaching about it and I won't stop. But there are some fantastic scriptures found in Ephesians about the church. There's kind of a little passage in there called the church charter. Uh, There are fantastic scriptures in Timothy, fantastic scriptures in Corinthians, fantastic scriptures in the Gospels, all establishing the New Testament church. Another institution ordained by God saying, you need this institution to be a body of peoples, to be able to interact with one another and to, to keep the peace and to be godly. It's created by God. The Bible gives us qualifications for pastors and they kind of call bishops and, and deacons, and you, they use that terminology in the, the King James, and, and for elders, and so on and so forth, and even their families. gives us qualifications for all these things. Tells us how to conduct things. Tells us to do them in an orderly fashion. And tells us all the, the things that the, the church plays a role in society. Much, much more, but we're going to not say anything more about the church today, because that's a topic for another day. Maybe the Lord will allow me to preach on that someday. Not today, but we must at least acknowledge God has established government and God has established the church, okay? So we have the biblical framework for those things. Now, last up is the establishment of the home, which is where I believe God will kind of have us focus on this morning. Now, it is important to note 
and listen to me now. The church should not do the things that the Lord has ordained the home to do. The government should not try and attempt to do the things that the Lord has ordained the home to do. It, it cannot. It is not designed for that. It is not. The government shouldn't do what the church is supposed to do. Shouldn't do what the home is supposed to do. The home cannot do what the government is supposed to do. The home cannot do what the church is supposed to do. Each of these entities has the part that it plays. Each of these entities has to do its job. And if one doesn't do its job, the other one tries to try and take up the slack and fill the role. Whenever one of those institutions vacates itself, it leaves a vacuum to where the other institutions have to try and fill the void. And you know what you end up with? You end up with a big, giant government that thinks it knows what's best for the home. You end up with a big, giant government that thinks it will step in and raise your children for you. That's not the role it's supposed to play. But that, that shows the importance that we need to be doing what we're supposed to do in our homes. We have to. When one of these things fails to do its job, it throws the whole society, it throws the whole nation out of whack. Throws the whole body of people out of whack. When the home doesn't do what it's supposed to do, or the church doesn't do what it's supposed to do, or the government, it throws it out of whack. The whole system. You know, if, if the home doesn't do what it's called to do, you could end up with a church that has to try and take on the responsibility of what is supposed to be happening in the home. Not designed for that. Brothers and sisters, the home, the government, and the church have to do their jobs. Those things, if they don't function on some sort of level, that body of people goes downhill real fast. I think we see that going on in our nation right now. Things just going downhill very fast. It ends up with mankind trying to live in a fashion we were not designed to live. Now, we haven't really talked about the home yet, but this is the biblical establishment of the home. It's found in Genesis chapter 2, and I mentioned earlier, take note that it is the first of the three entities that God ordains. It's the first one. So it's very important that God establishes the home, and we need to know what that means. Genesis chapter 2, in verse 21, we'll start reading. It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Look at verse 24. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, now maybe you're thinking, well, I don't see anything that establishes a home in there. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you how it worked because it happened to me. I, I was fortunate enough to have a good mom and dad. They always loved me and took care of me and did their best. And I'm very appreciative of that. And, and young people need that. And we, we need more of that in this nation. We need good, solid homes in this nation. Amen? I was fortunate enough to have a good, solid home. My mom and dad loved me and they, they loved each other and they taught me the word of God. And I'm forever grateful for that. But I noticed something. As a young lad, I never had any problem eating their food, drinking their water, using their electricity, living in their house. Never had any real problem with it. Never thought about it growing up as a little boy. Those things never even crossed my mind. And then one day I came across Shannon. <laughs> Time went by and I, I, I started thinking. I'd look over here at Shannon and I'd look at mom and dad. Look back at Shannon, look back at mom and dad. Well, and you see how it went, amen? <laughs> mom and dad, I love you, but I'll see you later. Something matured inside of me. Something happened inside of me. Even though I had a good home, mom and dad loved me and took care of me, something went off inside of me and said, I, I, I want to establish my own home. I don't, I don't want to live there anymore. I don't want to live there anymore. And, and I left, and I did what the Bible said. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. 
Notice it says you leave your mom and dad. When I left them, I ain't going to have any place to go unless I establish my own home. And I cleaved unto my wife. We put our heads together. We started trying to make godly decisions. And God helped us to establish our own home. That's how it works. That's the establishment of this scripture here. God is establishing the home. A man leaves his father and his mother. And he goes out, cleaves unto his wife. And in turn establishes their own home. That's, that's what the Bible is saying here. And very importantly, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Because I think we forget these very basic things. The Bible says they shall be one flesh. One flesh. Men, listen to me now, men. Your wife is bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. She's a part of you. She is you. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. It says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. Men, did you hear that? Love your own wife like it's yourself. I mean, you feed yourself, you keep yourself clean, you keep yourself going, you want good things for yourself. Do that to her. Have good want things in mind for her, goodwill towards her. So ought men to love their wives. These are biblical commands, men. Love your wife. Men, our example of husbandry is Christ's actions towards the church. Man, he gave himself for it. He gave all that he had for it. He left nothing behind. He left nothing on the table. Men, that's your example towards your wife. Love her like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. This is the Bible teaching us men how to be men. Men don't even know how to be men out in this world. Remember Pastor Joe, all growing up, he would always preach that. The men nowadays are a bunch of goofball Homer Simpsons, he would always say. Anyone remember that from back in the day? A bunch of goofballs. That's not what the Bible's saying here. It's saying, men, love your wives. Love them. Give yourself for them. The Bible teaches us how to be men. Out in the world, they don't know how to be men. They know how to shirk responsibility and go out and drink and carouse and chase women around. That's not what a man is, the Bible says. Women, listen to me. The same goes for you. He's bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. Listen to what the Bible says. Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 33. And as, as we go through this, brothers and sisters, remember, we're talking about the establishment of the home. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. It's kind of saying, wives, respect your husband. Women, despite how trivial you think that is or how goofy you think it is, us men have this innate need to be respected. We have a need to feel respected. We just do. Maybe you think, oh, that's dumb or that's goofy or you should be wired differently. That's just how it is. We have this need to be respected. We do. If the man is not respected in the home, it's not going to go good. Ladies, you have to understand this is scriptural. This is not my opinion. This is not what I'm saying. Oh, I just feel this way. This is what the Bible says. Women, wives, reverence your husband. Respect your man. God wired us this way. We can't help it. God wired us this way. But listen, women, before you get mad at me, the, the Bible gives us perfect balance, brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 7, 3. Listen, listen to what it says. Ladies and men, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. Men, if you want respect from your wife, maybe you should render unto her due benevolence. Do you know what that means? That means have a... Your disposition towards your wife should be, you should have goodwill towards her. You should intend good for her. You should be tender-hearted for her. You should show her respect and kindness. That's what it means to render benevolence, do benevolence unto your wife. You give your wife that and you treat your wife that way, maybe you'll just get the respect that you desire and you crave. Respect is earned, men, not demanded. And if you're demanding respect from your wife, you're doing it wrong. You're not doing, this is what the Bible says. You want respect from your wife? Then treat her with some kind-heartedness, some tenderness. Render unto her due benevolence, and you'll get the respect you, you're looking for, men. 
Well, you might say, well, Jason, now you're just talking about marriage. Uh, You said home. Now you're talking about marriage. It's the infrastructure of the home. Marriage is the infrastructure of the home. It, It all falls under the umbrella of the home. There has been an unbelievable attacks on marriages by the enemy. Unbelievable. If he can mess up the marriage, he can mess up the home. Listen, the, the, do you know that the divorce rate is down? It's way down. And we might think, oh, praise the Lord, that's great. But not so fast. Statistics can be deceiving sometimes. The divorce rate is down because people nowadays are just cohabiting. They're, they're not getting married. They just cohabit. They just live together and When it goes bad, they move out, live with someone else. When that goes bad, they move out and go with someone else. And this has contributed to the decline in the divorce rate. Less divorces because there's less people getting married. Because they've lost faith in what God has ordained because we botched it up and screwed it up so bad. Now, in all this, all this leads to the decline, ultimately, of a nation. When, When the home goes bad, the nation starts going bad. Why? Because the home is established by God and has to do its job, or the whole thing doesn't work right. Now, please listen to me, because I know lots of us are touched by divorce. If, if you've been through that, don't mentally check out on me. I am telling you what the Bible says a home should look like, okay? And if you've been through a divorce, despite the circumstances you've been through, we ought all of us, divorced, married, or single, be moving in the direction of what a biblical home looks like. If you've been through a divorce, pick up any pieces and parts that are left over and see what the Bible says your home should look like and move in that direction, brothers and sisters. The Bible gives us a clear picture of what that home should look like. There's a tiny little book in the New Testament called Titus. One of them ones it's sometimes hard to find if you don't know exactly where it's at. But it's right after the book of Timothy. Titus was a, he was a Greek Christian, a learned man, a very close friend of the apostle Paul's. And he traveled around with Paul. If you read through the New Testament, you'll actually see Titus mentioned a few times in other epistles. Because Paul would travel with Titus, close friend. And apparently, Titus must have been with Paul and Paul leaves Titus in a place called Crete. Now, Crete is an island off the coast of Greece. It's actually, I believe, still called Crete to this day. But he leaves Titus there. He writes him this epistle, Apostle Paul does, sends it to Titus because he wants Titus to set some things. Christianity was spreading in Crete, and there were some Jews there that were trying to subvert some of the Christianity. And Paul writes to Titus and says, hey, I want you to set some things in order in Crete. So we have the epistle of Titus, just after the book of Timothy. How to select bishops, and so on and so forth, this book goes on. How to stop the mouths of those who are trying to subvert the Cretans. And then you come to Titus chapter 2. I think the whole book's only three chapters. Then Paul gives us this clear picture of how Christian men and women ought to behave. It's a very good picture of the home, the infrastructure of the home. This almost like a Paul is saying, this is what a Christian household should look like. This is how men and women should behave and interact. And I feel like that's just where God wants us to go this morning. Not it, it goes, it's funny because it captures all of us. Older men, older women, and younger men and younger women. It captures all of us. And gives us characteristics of what each should look like. Now, as a pastor, as a fellow citizen of yours in this nation of ours, I'm noticing that society has no idea what a man or a woman is or should be. They have no idea. You will say, oh, you're wrong, Pastor Jason. Brothers and sisters, there's video after video you can watch on YouTube of people. There's people that walk around and, and ask folks, Hey, what's a woman? They have no idea. It's like they're stumped. It's like you asked them a trigonometry or something. They're like, I don't know. The Bible tells us these things, brothers and sisters. And this forms our doctrine. Do you know that? We have a society where no one knows what a man or a woman is or even should be. We have 
biological men winning awards that are intended for women only. We, we have that going on in our society. We now have large numbers of people that have no clue what a woman is. You, have you seen any of this stuff? No idea what a woman is. We are being told that there is no difference between men and women at all. No physiological differences even. I mean, it's amazing. We live in an age of relativism where, where everything is fluid. Everything is subjective. Everything is truth is what I think it is. Truth to you is what you think it is. And that permeates our society. It's called a postmodern view. Everything's relative. You can be true for you, but not for me. What might be true for me might not be for you. That's called relativism. Now, I want everyone to know this this morning. This is not the view that the New Testament church holds. It is not. The Bible makes objective statements. They are black and white. They are concrete. They are not relative. And we need to know these things. Who, who would have thought that I would have to say there are differences between men and women? Who would have thought that I might have to say that only women can get pregnant? Who would have thought that I would have to say things like proper masculinity is not toxic? It is not. Biblical masculinity is ordained by God. Now remember, we're talking about what the Christian home should look like. Let's settle the argument of value first. Okay? Who's more valuable, men or women? Is a man better than a woman, or is a woman better than a man? Now, I better be careful here, right? Here is what the Bible teaches, okay? Nobody's opinion, not my opinion, not Pastor Joe's opinion, not your opinion. This is what the Bible teaches us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Men and women are of equal value because they are both created in the image of God. One is not better than the other. One is not superior to the other. You look out into the world and there's a power struggle between men and women. Constantly trying to be on top. Constantly trying to grab the power. Constantly trying to, to get the other to submit. The Bible says clearly... Both are made in the image of God. Both have equal value in the eyes of God. This is what the Bible says. It settles the argument of who's more valuable. Neither. They're both made in the image of God. Both are ascribed equal value in the eyes of God our maker. Now, men and women have slightly different roles to play. They do. But they are both created in God's image. Both of them. We're going to start with you aged men. Listen up. Aged men. Men, we have dropped the ball for decades now. Decades upon decades, we had fumbled the ball. We have been poor fathers. We've been lazy. We've been immature. We've shirked our responsibilities. And the effects have been disastrous, not just in our home. Remember, if your home is not right, the whole thing goes bad. We've dropped the ball for decades and decades and decades. Listen, aged men, Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes to Timothy, or I'm sorry, Titus. And he says, Titus, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Here we go, aged men. It says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, and in peace. Did you hear those characteristics of the aged men? The Bible is telling us, aged men, this is what it should look like. If you're a man and you have some age on you, these are, should be the exemplary things. These should be the things coming out of you. Sober, it says. Aged men, be sober. Abstain from wine. Don't be excessive in anything that you do. Be sober, men, it says. The, the Word of God is instructing us to be sober. How many men have fallen prey to drink? How many homes have been destroyed? How many lives has that stuff, that, that poison destroyed? Millions and millions of lives have been thrown down the tubes. Listen to this. How many women have been beaten because of the drink? How many children have been beaten because of drink? What's the Bible tells us? Aged men, be sober. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. 
Then it goes on and says, aged men, be grave. Do you know what it means to be grave? It means to be serious and to be dignified. Have some dignity, aged men, about yourself. To, ha to have these qualities, the Bible saying, be sober and be grave. And then it moves on and says, be temperate, which, which means to be, be, do things in moderation. Don't be overly excessive in the things that you do. Practice moderation in all the things that you do. This is for our aged men. And then the Bible says, be sound in, and it lists three things, faith, charity, and patience. Do you, do you know what it means to be sound in? It says that your opinions should be free from error. You should be solid in these three things, the Bible says, in faith, charity, and patience. Our aged men should be free from error in faith. Aged men, you should be free from error in your doctrine. You should have poured through this over the years. You're not a new beginner. You've, you've gone through this. You've studied. You've learned some things out of it. You've gleaned some things. Combine that with the experience that you've had. And it should produce someone that is sound in their faith. Aged men should be strong in doctrine. Solid in it. You should have some discernment, aged men. Not walking around like a teenager, being a goofball still. No, you, you should be sol solid in all the biblical topics. You should have a, at least a rudimentary uh, knowledge of all these uh, doctrinal things in the Bible. Be solid in faith, and then it says be solid in charity. Our aged, man sh our aged men should be apt to love and should have goodwill towards people. That should be your disposition. That should be your demeanor. You shouldn't be a grumpy old man hoping bad things happen to people. These young people, they're so stupid, I hope they crash and burn. That's not what the Bible says you should be. It's, it's, you should have goodwill. You should be sound in faith and in charity, which is a goodwill towards humanity. Towards others, towards your family, towards those grandbabies of yours, towards your neighbors. You should be sound in it, free from error in it. And then lastly, it says you should be sound in patience. Our aged men should be steadfast. Our aged men should be consistent. Our aged men should be constant. Meaning you can't be this one week and then the next week you're this and then the week after that you're this. No, be consistent, be patient. Now, this is how I know I'm not one of the aged men yet. <laughs> Maybe I'm transitioning into there, but I like to tell you all day long, I'm just, I'm just as patient as can be. But you'd be seeing Shannon back here shaking her head. Mm -mm, I don't think so. Aged men, you have to be these things in order for our homes to function right. I, I don't care if your kids have left the home. You still have these influence. You have to have a solid home so that it can impact our neighborhoods. It can impact our communities. It can impact our nation. You need to be these things. There's no way around it. Don't let the world tell you what you should be. Man, the Bible tells us what you should be. Verse 3 in Titus chapter 2 goes on to you aged women. Look at Titus chapter 2 verse 3 says, The aged women likewise... That they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Do you see, first right off the bat, it says aged women, likewise. What, what Paul is writing to Timothy or to Titus and to tell him, he says, set all these things in order. And he goes through the aged men, then he gets to the aged women, and it says aged women, likewise. So similar to the men, be those things, similar to the men that we just went through. But then it moves on and it instructs our aged women to be, have behavior that becomes holiness. Women, exhibit a reverential behavior. Women, be respectable. Carry yourself with some dignity. Carry yourself with some respect, some self-respect. Be honorable. Be someone worthy of respect. Dress that way. Look that way. Not, it goes on, it says, not a false accuser. In other words, don't slander people. Don't slander. How many people have left the church because of slander? Did you see the, the blouse? Did you see her hairdo? <laughs> it looked terrible. It looks like she had a haircut in 10 years. How many people have left the church because of goofy little things like that? 
The aged women, this is the qualification. This is what the Bible says. This is what you should be. Not what the world says. The Bible says this is what you should be. Don't slander. Aged women, it says don't be given to much wine. You'll notice a theme, brothers and sisters, as we go through aged men, aged women, young women, and young men. You'll notice a theme that Paul seems to harp on a lot about sobriety. Aged women says, don't be given to much wine. And then Titus finally tells us to be, tells the, the aged women, be a teacher of good things. Well, who are they supposed to teach? And what good things are they supposed to teach? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 4 says, that they may teach the young women. Now, now stop there for a minute, minute. Do you see the picture of the home that the Bible is forming here? Do you see God establishes it way back in Genesis chapter 2, and then here we are in the New Testament that's clarifying it. This is the role that we play. Men, women, these are the roles. These are the characteristics. Aged men, be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, and patience. Aged women, behave reverently, not slandering. Be sober, teaching good things to the young women. And then it moves to the young women. Titus Chapter 2, verse 4, says that they may teach the young women to be sober. There it is again. To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young women, you are instructed to be sober. Leave the stuff alone. Leave it alone. Again, we see this theme of leaving the drink alone. It's a command for young women. Then it goes on to the young ladies. It's a command for the young women to learn to love their husbands. They're being taught this by our aged women. Aged women who have seen some things, who have dealt with some things, who have been through some things, been through some marital issues. The aged women teach the younger women how to love. When I got married, I honestly thought that I would just automatically be a good husband. I mean, my mom and dad were very good people, loved each other very much. I thought like it by osmosis would make me a good husband. It does not work that way. I found out. It took me a long time to learn. Long time to learn. You have to learn how to love someone. I heard someone just the other day was talking about marriage, preaching about it, and they said it's, it's two sinners trying to learn to live together and love each other. It don't go very smoothly sometimes, does it? The Bible's saying aged women teach the younger women how to love their families, how to love their wives or their children, how to love their husbands. It's a command. What if they don't know how to love their husbands? That's why the aged women teaches them. The aged women know these things. They have experience in these things. It goes on. It says young women be discreet. In other words, control your desires, control your impulses. And that even means for shopping too, women. Control it. Uh-huh. That's the Bible. I remember, you can't argue emotions with me or philosophies. You come and give me scriptures, all right. Be discreet, young women. Now listen, it says be chaste. That's not even a word anyone even says anymore. When was the last time someone used that word in a sentence to you? Well, never, maybe. It means to be pure, to be modest, to be clean. I heard a, a pastor a long time ago, I was watching someone, and they said, ladies, here's a good way for you to dress. You know, because I know that women, they are the more beautiful of the two sexes. They, they are. That's how it is. God's made it that way. Men look dumb and nasty, I think, in my opinion. <laughs> women have beauty. They do. But listen to me, women. This is a, I heard a pastor say this one time. Dress in a fashion that the attention comes up onto the beauty of your face, not to other body parts. Be chaste, young women, pure, modest, and clean. I know that's not very popular. You, you go to the mall and practically girls wearing bikinis around. It, it's unbelievable. My wife and I was at a ball game a few weeks ago out of town, and we believe it was the school's track uniform that we saw for the girls. Lord have mercy. 
It was unbelievable. It was near a bikini. It, it truly was. I'm not, I'm not joking. That's what it, that we think that's what it was. The Bible doesn't instruct you to be like that. Even if you have the curves, ladies, be chaste, be pure, modest, and clean. And listen to this. And I know this isn't very popular, but the Bible says the keepers at home. Women, that's a calling. Now, I realize I could get some pushback on this. But young women, you're called to be the keepers at home. You watch over the house, the household activities. That's your calling, women. Now, society has made this very difficult for our, our families to do this. Very difficult. If you're a, a one-income family, man, you got to knock down six figures at least or you're going to be hurting. Then the society has dealt us that hand. It makes it very difficult. But I'm encouraging you, make whatever sacrifices you have to raise those babies, Mom. Men, make the sacrifices that you need to have make to, to raise those babies. Mom, you're the only one that can do it. The, the system can't do it. The system will do it, but they may just instill some things that you don't want in those babies. Listen, this is an honorable thing. It's honorable, but somewhere along the way, our culture has changed that into a dishonorable calling. If you were to go out into a public forum and say, well, I'm a housewife, they'd look at you like you were some sort of loser, wouldn't they? Like you're, you're some sort of failure in life. It is not dishonorable. It is not. And we frown on women that stay at home. Those stay-at-home moms, we frown on them. So society says women get out into the workforce. Housewife is almost a derogatory term. And I believe... Partially because men have floundered that this breach is going on. It's all, it's all out of kilter. Because men have failed. And it, it has pushed women out into the workforce. The, the Bible says these things not because it calls women to, to the home, to be the keepers of the home. Not because women are incompetent out in the workforce. That's not the reason at all. Women are plenty competent. I'll openly admit the best director I ever had in my career ever, hands down, was a woman. I still respect her to this day. If she walked in the door right now, I'd stand into attention. She was good. She was awesome. I actually loved working for her. It is not a competence thing, women. Not at all. Not, not at all. There, it's just the biblical roles that we play. The biblical role that we play. And, and remember, Jason D. doesn't institute this. God didn't institute this. This is the word of God. I'll just say this, young ladies, and, and I'll leave it alone. Be careful what society calls success for our women, as God may not use the same metric to measure success. Our moms, when, when you vacate the home, it leaves a vacuum that only you can fill. Make the sacrifices you need to make to raise those babies. Families, make the sacrifice. Now, it goes on to say, and this is going to get worse and worse for me. It goes on to say, young women, be obedient to your own husbands. Young ladies, listen to me. Let your husband lead. Let him lead. Let him fulfill his role. It's his role. It's his calling. He's not going to feel like a man if he can't lead. Women, listen to me now. Us men have dropped the ball for decades. For decades, but us men here at New Hope were asking for a chance to let us pick that ball back up. Men, if your wife lets you lead, don't screw it up. Earn her respect. Render unto her due benevolence like we just read a few verses ago. Show her tenderness and kindness. Men, put yourself last. If you're in a family, you're last. I don't care if you don't like that, you're last. Accept it. Come to, come to terms with it. Make sure your wife is taken care of. Make sure those babies are taken care of, and then there's time for you left over at the end. That's your calling, men. Pick the ball back up, men. Men, we've dropped the ball, so the ladies have been forced to take the ball. Somebody's got to carry it. Somebody's got to do the responsibilities. Men, step into your role. Step into your role. I don't believe women just come and took the ball from men. I don't believe that. I believe women picked up the ball because it's been dropped by men. They've fumbled it and failed. Why do all of this? So that the word of God be not blasphemed. 
so that we don't give occasion for the enemies of God to, to look at our homes and say, I told you so, they're no good. They don't know what they're doing. The Bible isn't true. Our aged men, be that. Aged women, we went through it. Young women, this is, the, this is the, the infrastructure of the home. This is how it works. Lastly, young men. You know why the Bible saves the young men for last? Because we're the dumbest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Own up to it, young men. Why is, our, why is car insurance more for young men than it is young ladies? Because we're dumb. Hey, man, see if you can hit that there and ramp over that thing right there. Hey, see if you can hit 100 miles an hour on this short strip of road right here. See if you can take that corner to going 50 like I did the other day. Titus chapter 2 verse 6 says this. Young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Anyone getting a little bit of a clue here? All of the categories the Bible is saying, be sober, be sober-minded. Verse 7 says, in all things, young men, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you, young men. Listen to me, young men. In all things, showing a pattern of good works. Pattern is repetition. Your behavior should be repetitive towards good works. Young men, work hard. That, that work ethic is lost in our society. It's lost. The Bible instructs our young men, work hard, do good in all things. In your work ethic, in your behavior, the way you conduct yourself, the way you carry yourself, the way you interact with your family and your neighbors and your co-workers. Show a pattern of good works, young men. Work hard. Have a pattern of it. Young men, show uncorruptness in doctrine, in gravity, in, in sincerity, in sound speech. Young man, if you're, if you're married, show your wife something worthy of respect and trust. Young man, show the world something worthy of respect and leadership. Listen, young man, I don't care how bad the economy is. I don't care if gas is $9 a gallon. I don't care if a dump of a house is 300000 You serve God. Show a pattern of good works, young men, and God will make a way for you. He will make a way for you. He will. You honor him with your decisions, and he will honor you. He'll take care of you. I prayed that over my sons recently. I don't want them looking at how bad the economy is, how bad things are. God will make a way. Young men, be a real man. Take care of your responsibilities. Do responsibilities. You can't play all the time. Now, you can't work all the time and not have any fun. There's a balance to it. But do your responsibilities. Don't make your life about playing and goofing off all the time. Do what needs done, young men. Whether you like it or not, do it. If it needs done, do it. And, and all, do all this, why? So that when the world looks at you, they could be ashamed because they can't say anything evil about you. They should be looking at you, young men. They should be looking at us. And saying, and having a hard time to, to, to be a naysayer about the gospel, about the Bible. Now, I'm going to finish with this, and the band can make their way back. But talk about the picture of the home. This is found way back in Deuteronomy, and this is imperative for the home. I want to read this verse, and listen, listen up. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to read a few verses. Remember, the home. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine hearts. Listen. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sit in thy house, and when thou walk by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. 
Do you see the Bible's talking about the home? It's saying, dads, moms, teach these things to your children. Talk about these things in your home. That the church here, we try, we have classes over there, but we're only one short period of time the whole week. These things have to happen in the home. Teach them in the home. Skip down to, to verse 20. Look what the Bible says very clearly. There's no argument here. Verse 20 says, And when thy son asks thee in time to come, saying, What means the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Meaning when your sons and your kids come and ask you, What's the Bible mean? What's, who is this God? Who is this Jesus? What do you mean? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, upon all his household, before our eyes. And he brought us up from hence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us, this is the fathers teaching the sons, moms teaching the daughters, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, our, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Do you see what the Bible's saying should be happening in the home? Teach these things to your children. When they come and they ask you, the Bible says, man, hang them on your walls. Man, discuss them at dinner time. Talk about the sermon today with your children. If they have questions about it, discuss it with them. Explain it to them. Dad, that's the purpose of the roles that we play as men and women in society and in the home. To teach biblical precepts to our sons and to our daughters. You, you, think, you think the schools are going to teach those things? They're not. Moms and dads, teach this stuff to our children. Grandmas and grandpas, teach this stuff to your grandbabies. Mo grandpas and grandpas, still build up your sons and your daughters. I don't care how old they are. Build up. Speak into them. You have experience. You've been through stuff. Speak into other people. Speak into people in your neighborhoods. Speak into the people you see in the grocery stores. We have to get our homes in order. God has ordained this. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. And some sweet morning after we've run the good race and we'll all fly away. Amen? If you're washing the blood this morning, you'll fly away. That's Someday morning when this life is over.